Indeed, let us die to make men free. We should die to self, that through the mortification of our flesh, the spirit, the spirit might have opportunity to work, that the lost would be brought to life. Are our watchfires lit? That verse, the watchfires lit. There's other men who've been in the field of armed conflict. Hearts are tender. In a time of tribulation for flesh, it's a shame our hearts aren't more broken for lost souls. So easily we go to war, many times with great justification. War is the, the result of great sin, sometimes by those who start it, sometimes by those who join it. But there is a war going on, and it's not against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities that has far greater impact. Our hearts should be broken, but they're not. I'm going to title this tonight based on a quote from a very famous man who almost nothing is known about. His name is Anonymous. <laughs> he has said some amazing things down through the, the millennia, and I thought this one was appropriate. And what he said was this, what we weave in time, we wear for eternity. very appropriate. We say we know it and we believe it to be true. I struggle living it. I read God's word and I know that what he prophesies occurs. Sometimes I look around and I don't care. I don't have the broken heart. Sometimes I just want rest. Revelation tells us, you want rest, just drop dead. Those who die in the Lord will have rest. Until then, we, we ought to be at war. We ought to be praying for those who are physically at war now. It's very nasty, dirty business. Hearts are forever scarred. These tears ought to be for lost souls. Excuse me, but that music... Again, so drove home a point that I was intent on making tonight. Our God is great, yet he's called us to battle. You know, a subtitle of this might be, uh, Will You Be Ashamed at His Appearing? I'm thinking of 1 John 2, verse 28, of course, where John says, Abide in him. My little children abide in him, that at his appearing you have no reason to shrink back in shame. Boy, there's a lot of things in my life that I, I'll shrink back in shame over. Gratefully, my sins have been put away by the Savior forever. What about my works that now should exist to bring glory to God and lost souls to salvation? Let's turn to Ephesians chapter 5.
Ephesians chapter 5. We'll start there. In this passage, I'm going to read verses 1 to 17. The, the translators of the New American Standard have told us this is about being imitators of God. That's a pretty tall order. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love. Just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. But immorality or impurity or greed must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. And there must be no filthiness and silly talk or coarse jesting which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. For this you know with certainty that no immoral or impure person or covetous man who is an idolater has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore do not be partakers with them, for you were formerly darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light consists in all goodness and righteousness and truth. Rather be trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. Do not participate in the unfruitful deeds of darkness, but instead even expose them. For it is disgraceful even to speak of things which are done by them in secret. But all things become visible when they are exposed by the light, for everything that becomes visible is light. For this reason it says, Awake, sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Therefore be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time. I like the King James are better. Redeeming the time. Redeeming is something that we should own, but has been taken from us or is held captive. We should be redeeming the time because the days are evil. So then do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. You know, this morning I spoke on Israel, the wife of God, and finished with a gospel message. You know, most of our preaching or teaching, it's either going to be centered towards drawing somebody to the Savior because they need to be saved or drawing believers to obedience. And sometimes the messages are both. And that was this morning. Tonight, likewise, we're supposed to be imitators of God. We don't want to be ashamed at his appearing. We want to weave clothes of righteousness, which are the righteous works of the saints while we have the opportunity by the power of the Spirit. We are given the Spirit. We have the promise that we're predestinated to be conformed to the image of Christ Jesus. God is going to complete that work. How much do we fight him? We're going to be given account for our works. They have nothing to do with us getting into heaven, but they have everything to do with rewards. The psalmist says, teach us to number our days. I think it was Chuck Swindoll who said, we easily number our years, but we ought to number our days because that's how we live our lives. We can be overtaken by events. You know, I am seldom the master of my schedule. There are many things that uh, I allow to interfere with works I should be doing. But we make choices. You know, I, I spoke a year ago on obtaining a, a better resurrection and spoke on how choices play into this. Moment by moment, we're making decisions based on a, on a benefit versus the cost, even if we don't realize it. Some, some of the choices are pretty important. We're talking about a, choosing a spouse or a house or a career, but they still are nothing compared to eternity. 
We want a favorable outcome and, and favorable blessings. We want to avoid unfavorable outcomes. And yet, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, and the pride of life can cause us to turn aside from the work which has been set before us. Let's go to 1 Timothy chapter 2. 1 Timothy chapter 2. Because speaking of choices, we, we may ponder what choices we're going to make. But you know, God has already given us our marching orders. Our choice should be to be smack dab in the middle of the will of the Lord. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 6. Paul says, First of all, then, I urge that entreaties and prayers, petitions and thanksgivings be made on behalf of all men, for kings and all who are in authority, so that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. This is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator also between God and, the, and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, the testimony given at the proper time. We're to be imitators of God and we should imitate Christ. You know, there's a common statement in both those passages I read, and it is that Christ gave himself for us. You know, he offered himself up as a fragrant offering which God accepted and thereby we have the opportunity to receive eternal life because God accepted the sacrifice that Christ made on our behalf. We ought to be imitators and give ourselves for our brothers and sisters in the flesh who don't know the Savior. Let's go over to Romans 13, Romans chapter 13. He said, Christ loved us and gave himself for us and God in his forbearance extended mercy to us based on that fragrant offering of Christ on our behalf. And God chooses to remember our sins no more. In Romans chapter 13, starting with verse 11, Paul says, do this knowing the time. Now, there's typically two words in Greek that are translated in English into time. A chronos, that would be time like we read on a watch or a clock. Or kairos. In, in the, the Latin kairos, ob Ob portu, ob portu. And if you just translate it into English, it, it's obvious. It's opportunity. We could render this, do this knowing the opportunity, because that's the intent of the Greek here. Do this knowing the opportunity, that it is already the hour for you to awaken from sleep, for now salvation is nearer to us than when we believed. The night is almost gone and the day is near. Therefore, let us lay aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave properly as in the day, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual promiscuity and sensuality, not in strife and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh in regard to its lusts. Here again, Paul is exhorting us to awake. We read that in Ephesians 5. Awake! Now is the time to awake from sleep. You know, sometimes sleep is used in the New Testament to speak of one who is physically dead. I don't think that's the intent there. What he's saying is, you can have somebody who looks like they're, who is alive but looks like they're dead because they're physically asleep. Isn't that how often we as Christians live? We look like we're dead, just like we were in Ephesians 2 verse 1, you being dead in sin and trespasses, we're in the world, 
We look no different than the world. We look for the world and it's in the church. We look for the church and it's in the world. Heaven help us that that's not true here at Claremont. But that's the warning. Wake up. Wake up. Salvation is nearer than when we first believed. Kronos, time. We're closer to it in time. Why should we care? Why, why do we have an obligation? Let's stay in Romans 13, but go back to verse 7. Render to all what is due them, tax to whom tax is due, custom to whom custom, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. You know what happens if we don't pay our taxes, they come after us. If you show dishonor to the wrong person, you might get your nose flattened. Owe nothing to anyone except to love one another, for he who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law for this. You shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And if there is any other commandment, it is summed up in this saying, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfillment of the law. In love, in love we ought to be speaking to our brothers and sisters in the flesh who are lost and warn them of a coming judgment. Instead, we just want to kill time. Any lousy reason we can employ as an excuse. It doesn't excuse us, but we can use it as that and we kill time. Let's go to John 15. I mentioned that uh, a subtitle could be, Will You Be Ashamed at His Appearing? And then talk about abiding in Christ. Let's read what it means to abide in Christ. John chapter 15. This is Jesus as the vine and we as followers are the branches. John 15, 1, I am the true vine and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. Now in that sentence, every branch in me, this, this is clearly written to believers. These are people who are in Christ. You can't be in and out. It's going to be important here in another couple verses. He says, you are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. So neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up, and they gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. You know, there are those who will rest the scripture and say this shows that you can lose your salvation. No, we, it's like in 1 Corinthians 3, our works can be burned up. We read there of, of a poor soul who all his works are burned up, yet he himself is saved by the skin of his teeth as if passing through fire. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this that you bear much fruit. And so prove to be my disciples. See, that's the difference there. It's on works. Are you going to be proved to be his disciple? Then your works ought to show it. Again, we, we're very reluctant to speak on works because the world tries to use works to get into heaven. Yet scripture is full of exhortations to work and warnings for those who don't. Just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you so that my joy may be in you 
and that your joy may be made full. So with obedience comes this promise of joy and that our joy may be made full. When we're obedient and act in faith, even when we don't believe or we don't want to do it, but we're obedient, the reward is we'll get to see the hand of the Lord do mighty things. And if we abide in Christ, the promise there is we will bear fruit. Sometimes we bear fruit that we don't even see. I spoke of killing time uh, in, a, in a book uh, that was edited or put together by E.C. McKenzie. He has this line. I don't know if he said it or somebody else, but he said, if you want to kill time, why not try working it to death? That's the best way to kill time because we lay up eternal rewards. You know, Christ's foundational command for us is found in John 6. John 6. Of course, there's, there's many foundational commands, but here he's speaking to the uh, 5,000 who were fed on the grassy hillside. Uh, John chapter 6, starting with verse 26. Jesus answered them and said, Truly, truly, I say to you, you seek me not because you saw signs, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. Do not work for food which perishes, but for food which endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him the Father God has set his seal. Therefore they said to him, What shall we do that we may do the works of God? Jesus answered them and said, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. And to this day God is working in our hearts through the work of the Holy Spirit to propel us toward himself and toward his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Unbelievers toward the Savior believers towards their Lord and Master and toward their God, that we might be obedient. Let's turn to, to Psalm 22. Christ has set an example. I know I've shared this uh, before, but Psalm 22, you know, that has that, that disturbing graphic picture of crucifixion and the Lord quoting from it on the cross. We're not going to read that portion. Let's go to Psalm 22, verse 22. And we'll see behavior by Christ that we would do well to uh, imitate. Psalm 22, verse 22. I see this is Jesus speaking to the Father about his earthly work. I will tell of your name to my brethren. In the midst of the assembly, I will praise you. That's the assembly. I see that as the assembly here on earth. And then he speaks to those in the assembly. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you descendants of Jacob, glorify him and stand in awe of him, all you descendants of Israel. For he has not despised nor abhorred the affliction of the afflicted. Now speaking about the father's reaction to him. Nor has he hidden his face from him, but when he cried to him for help, he heard. This is Christ speaking through the psalmist. In 25, I see this in the great assembly, the, the assembly in heaven, Christ again speaking to the Father, from you comes my praise in the great assembly. I shall pay my vows before those who fear him. The afflicted will eat and be satisfied. Those who seek him will praise the Lord. Let your heart live forever. He will receive his praise from the Father for doing all things well in the great assembly. And Christ will pay his vows for us, for those who fear him. 
you know, we should be ecstatic about the opportunities that are given us to tell of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're fearful. I mean, I, I go out and do it on a regular basis. But I'll confess to you, I am often very nervous, frightened at times. When I look in the mirror and I look at me and rely on the flesh, I have good reason to be fearful. I guess we ought to be like Psalm 56. I want to turn there quick. We'll read a couple of verses. Psalm 56 is a supplication for a deliverance. And it's this um, David is expressing his gratitude for God who has delivered him out of the hand of the Philistines when he fled to Gath to get away from Saul. In Psalm 56, verse 11, he says, In God I have put my trust. I shall not be afraid. What can man do to me? Your vows are binding upon me, O God. As we said this morning, God is not a man that he should lie, neither is his son a man that he should change his mind. God is faithful even when we're faithless. I will render thank offerings to you, for you have delivered my soul from death, indeed my feet from stumbling, so that I may walk before God in the light of the living. That's us. He's delivered our souls from death unless you're not in Christ. I sort of referenced in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 11 to 13, we have that um, from Paul. This is a trustworthy saying, if, speaking of Christ. If we die with him, we'll live with him. If we reign or suffer, or if we endure and, or suffer with him, we shall reign with him. But if we deny him, he will deny us. And if we're faithless, yet he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. If you take each of those statements, as, as I believe you should individually, if we die with Christ, we'll live with him. And if we endure, if we suffer with Christ, we shall reign with him. But if we don't endure and we don't suffer, we don't lose our salvation, but we lose the right to reign with him. Every place in the, in the scripture, in the New Testament, it tells us we'll rule or reign with Christ. There's a, there is a caveat there. It's predicated upon our obedience, our suffering, our enduring. That's not a mistake. That's there for a reason. It has to do with the works of a Christian. Evangelism, it is a believer's obligation, and it is a great blessing for all who will participate in it. It's a far greater blessing than having a hand in putting people to death. But if we don't participate, I know it's not the same as pulling the trigger. And trust me, everybody that does that is scarred for life. And there's a perverse sense of satisfaction that comes with it. But if we don't warn unbelievers about pending doom, about the lake of fire, trust me, you're doing the same thing. You'll be in the same boat. It's with everybody, every one of us that had anything to do with the loss of life in warfare. War is nasty, dirty, ugly business. And as I said, nobody comes back who isn't scarred to participate. I suspect it's going to be much worse for, for us at the great white throne judgment. I believe we're going to be spectators. There are going to be those who turn to me and say, Spear, why didn't you warn me? That bothers me a lot worse than people have had a hand in their lives ending. We ought to be fearful. What an awesome responsibility we have. But it's also a great opportunity. Why should we do it? Well, we've been, uh, let's go to Matthew 9. Why should we evangelize? 
Why should we be a part of it? Matthew 9. We should do it because there is work to be done. That's what Christ tells us here. In Matthew 9, verse 36. Seeing the people, he felt compassion for them because they were distressed and dispirited like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said, then he saying to the disciples, I like it because in the Greek, it's present active. It's ongoing still today. Then he saying to his disciples, including us, if we're disciples of Christ, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Therefore, beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. There's work to be done. Go to Matthew 28. Matthew 28, verse 18, the Great Commission. We've been commanded to do It's not a suggestion, just like the Ten Commandments are ten suggestions. We've been commanded. In Matthew 28, 18, And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Not only bring them to Christ, but teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. We've been commanded to do it. Um, turn to Acts chapter 1. I'll, I'll just cover it. There's another. The next topic would be success is guaranteed. And I'll just, a couple of these verses are very familiar. In John 10, 16, Jesus talks about having other sheep which are not of this fold that he must bring them also. And they'll all be one flock with one shepherd. John 6, 37, he says, all that the Father gives me shall come to me. And the one who comes to me I shall in no wise cast out. Our brother read John 12, 32 this morning in the, the worship service. If I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. I read 1 Timothy 2 earlier. This is good and well-pleasing to God our Savior, who wills all men to be saved. There's no guarantee there, but there is a guarantee that those that come, that he will protect, and he will draw some, and there are those who will come to know the living God as Savior. And, of course, Jesus is the only way in John 14, 6, when Thomas is saying, Lord, we don't know the way to heaven. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except by me. Acts 1.8, the Holy Spirit is given to us for the purpose of evangelism. Acts 1.8, again, another one of the Great Commission. Jesus saying, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest parts of the earth. The Holy Spirit was sent into the world to convict of sin. In John 16, verses 7 and 8, he says, But I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And he, when he comes, will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Why should we preach the gospel? Because people won't be saved without hearing it, according to Scripture. Now, as I related this morning... Um, I, I, I don't agree with uh, the brothers who might say that if somebody has not heard of the name of Jesus Christ, they can't be saved. I will agree that nobody will be in heaven except by the work of Christ. Sometimes they hear the preaching directly from God himself. I told you this morning the story of the young man I met a week and a half ago, an Arab. 
he just in his heart wanted to know who Jesus was and the Lord sent him visions. It's amazing to hear. I've been hearing about that from some of our warriors that coming back from uh, Iraq when we had a lot of them there and now Afghanistan. There's sometimes whole villages having the same dream. The Lord is reaching out. Maybe it's a sign that the time of his coming is moments away. But scripture is clear in Romans 10, the chapter on evangelism. For scripture says, in, in verse 11, for scripture says, whoever believes in him will not be disappointed for there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, abounding in riches for all who call on him. For whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. This young man, Atef, he called upon God. Who are you? Who is Jesus? And he sent him an answer that he might be propelled to meet up with other Christians. The fact that his heart was searching after God, God reached out to him. Verse 14, how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? How will they believe in him whom they have not heard? And how will they hear without a preacher? How will they preach unless they are sent? Just as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news of good things. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. And sometimes the word of God goes into their ear, their heart, and leads them to somebody. God will provide a way for everybody. When I read Romans chapter 1 and 2, it says all men are without excuse. And for those who have no opportunity to hear the gospel, I don't know how God's going to do it. I just believe what scripture tells me. I take scripture literally. It says all men are without excuse. If you have to hear the name of Christ, you have to hear the name of Jesus, well, what about those who died in Nirian Chai or Balikpapan or the South Sea Islands 2,000 years ago? I don't know how God's going to do it, but our God is loving and just. And every one of those who end up in heaven will be there because Christ paid for their sins, and, but they believed on what they received from God. They showed faith towards God with what they had, and he counted it unto them as righteousness, even when Abraham believed God. Then none of that absolves of us of the responsibility for preaching the gospel. We, we should not sit back and expect that God's going to do it because we're too lazy or we're too frightened. Finally, evangelism is necessary for growth. This one was pointed out to me, and I, I had trouble grasping it, but I see it now. In Philemon, verse 6, it says, And I pray that the fellowship... You know, there was a fellowship here today. What does that mean, a time of sharing? And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective through the knowledge of every good thing which is in you for or toward, literally that for in the Greek is toward Christ's sake. It's necessary for our growth and for our blessing. Again, as Christ bore witness of the Father in Psalm 22, and David bore witness of his faithfulness and deliverance in Psalm 56. We should live our lives bearing witness of God, of Christ, and all by the power and the work of the Holy Spirit. But what's at stake if we don't? The lost will stay lost and suffer judgment. We're really, really running out of time. I'll just uh, make mention of the Bible is full of uh, warnings about the judgment. Second Thessalonians chapter 1 you know, Paul's talking to the Thessalonians and comforting them. They've been afflicted. But he tells them that Jesus will be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, dealing out retribution to those who do not know God. 
to those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. These will pay the penalty of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. And of course we know Revelation chapter 20, the great white throne judgment, the lake of fire, all whose names were not found written in the, the book of life were cast into the lake of fire. At stake also is our loss of rewards, as I talked about 1 Corinthians 3, and that'll occur according to 2 Corinthians chapter 5 at the Bema, the judgment seat of Christ. We lose the opportunity to have um, converts we might have a hand in winning to the Lord. We don't do the work. We're just obedient to the Lord, and he uses us, but we get the blessing of seeing souls turn to Christ. And as Paul wrote to the Thessalonians in the second chapter, he says, are, are, are you not our, our crown of exultation? Are you not our hope and our joy? Because he had seen them one to the Lord through his ministry. I spoke this morning on Israel as the wife of God. You know, what was the benefit of being a Jew? Well, they had the oracles of God. They were supposed to reveal God to the world. But they hated the Gentiles. They saw them as fuel for the fires of hell. They went into their adulterous relationships with all the gods of the area. Um, they received punishment. Uh, their witness was ineffective. Even if they decided to try to speak of Jehovah, uh, their witness was ineffective because they were just as wicked or even more wicked than the lands around them. There are Christians who try to do that today, live a, a sinful life and then witness for the Lord. That doesn't work. They just look at it and say, you're a hypocrite. There aren't going to be those at the great white throne judgment who turn and look at me and say, Spear, I didn't need to be a Christian to live as wickedly as you were. And it's true. We don't want to be that way. That ought to be in our heart. You know, the Israelites were set aside and have been set aside. Nobody goes to the Jews to, to ask spiritual questions anymore. But one day they will. Ten will grab onto one Jew. The Jews won't have to tell one another, know the Lord, because they'll know him already. But they've been set aside. You know, Paul warned about that for us in 2 Timothy chapter 2. There's vessels of honor and vessels of dishonor. There have been ministries, great men of faith, and who had great ministries who have been set aside, their public ministry utterly destroyed because they fell into sin. What a tragic thing. Now, God can forgive them. They can be great prayer warriors. But unless the Lord does a miracle, they're never going to have a public ministry again. And they have brought the name of the Lord to open ridicule, given people good reason to blaspheme the name of God because of their actions. God doesn't deserve it, but his ambassador behaved in a way which, which brought disrepute to the name of the Lord. You know, the entire world bears witness that death and destruction is our end. I mean... This is a resurrection body? I don't think so. But there is one waiting for me in heaven. There wasn't that many years ago, this body was in pretty good shape. I could put on a 65, 70 pound pack and carry gear and go into the hinterlands. My son and I went up into the Sierras on Tuesday, or Wednesday, just overnight. There's no way I could make it. It was gonna be like a 10 mile hike, climbing 4,000 feet. I rented a horse. <laughs> we ended up only going seven miles and under 4,000 foot elevation gain. Hadn't been that many years ago, I'd have, it would have been a cakewalk a cake for me. We did walk back out and I am sore and paying for it. 
nowadays I'm lucky to get out of bed. But there was a time when running 20 or 30 miles was no issue for me. I could do it because I had trained, because I lived constantly buffeting my body and keeping it under subjection, subjection for physical things to make me ready for whatever requirements might be placed upon me. But time has taken its toll, and that is what is shown for all of us. Death is quite evident. We must share the gospel. This morning I gave a, an extended gospel message. I was going to cover some of that tonight, but we, we went through it this morning. And if there's anybody here who does not know what's going to happen to you when you die, come and talk to me afterwards. We need to get it settled. Now is the day of salvation. Do you know how long you're going to live? I know that's a piercing question. God knows the end of man. He knows the beginning from the end. But we typically have no idea when we're going to die. And if you don't know where you're going when you die, it's not safe for you to leave this world. You've got to get it sorted out first. Let's talk about that. Talk about that without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin. In church after church after church today has gone away from preaching about hell and about the blood of Christ because it's offensive. And it is offensive. And you know what? That's by design. That's by God's design that it's offensive. You think about what was the first blood that was ever shed? I asked that of people on occasion. The typical answer is, well, it's when Cain killed Abel. No, it's not. The first bloodshed was when God killed animals to provide an adequate covering for Adam and Eve. Can you imagine the horror that went through Adam's eyes and his heart as he saw this animal that he probably had intimate communion with slaughtered because he had sinned? Something innocent had its blood poured out of it in order to provide an adequate covering for Adam and Eve's sin. You know, I think of the words of that, that hymn of Horatio Bonar, I hear the words of love. I hear the words of love, I look upon the blood. I see the mighty sacrifice, and I have peace with God. That's what the sacrifice of the blood of Christ has done for us. We ought to be joyful at sharing it. We must tell the lost, and we must give it to them in the same manner in which they must receive it. We must do it in faith. Doesn't matter whether you think you're able. Doesn't matter whether you think you're gifted. God has called every single one of us to be a witness. If you show up, he will show up. If you don't go, he's going to send someone else. Well, Jesus said to the Philadelphians, don't let someone steal your crown. There are divine appointments set for every single one of us, and we ought to be ready to meet them. All you have to know is you know, know the common errors that exist about, about salvation. People think that good people go to heaven. As you've heard me say, no, good people can't go to heaven. Oh, bad people can. Heaven's going to be full of bad people. There won't be one single good person there save Christ. And that's the reason, because there are no good people except Christ. And he's God. Good works, we're always quick to point out, you can't get to heaven by good works, and that's true. Or religion, which just tells you to be a good person and do good works. I suspect that everybody here could go out and do a wonderful job of presenting the gospel. 
God has given every single man a conscience. And when you point out that our conscience condemns us and speak of the love of God and the sacrifice of Christ, the Holy Spirit does the work. It's not you. You don't have to come up with the best possible words. You go in faith, the Spirit will show up and it's going to happen. But it's not going to happen if we don't go. I'll finish with this quote from uh, Leonard Ravenhill. But before that, again, redeeming the time because the days are evil. We have 1,440 minutes in every day. We all have the same amount of time and we all make excuses, I'm too busy. But all you have to do if you have the courage to do it is ask for an open door and Christ will give you one. The Lord God will send his Holy Spirit to stir up the heart of somebody and cause circumstances to arise that you'll have an open door. If you don't know Christ, like I said, let's talk tonight. Don't leave here without coming to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And if you do, let's abide in Christ and bear fruit as we've been commanded to do. Another quote from Leonard Ravenhill. I don't know if you know him or not, uh, a fine theologian at times a fiery speaker, acerbic words oftentimes directed at the church and very deservedly so. He made this, this statement. The attitude of the average Christian today is relax and be raptured. But he is coming. And when God gets angry, you have no idea what it is. Like a thousand volcanoes exploding, he has appointed a day in which he is going to judge the world. And the poor world doesn't know much about it. And the poor blind church doesn't think much about it now. Let us work to be sure that the words of Leonard Ravenhill do not describe us. Even more so, let's make sure that the piercing look of our Savior doesn't find in us the guilt of silence when it comes to the gospel. Let's redeem the time. Father, we thank you for your forbearance. You put up with us us creatures, you love us infinitely. You provide opportunity, and when we miss it, you bring up more. Father, our heart, our desire is that we would yield ourselves to you, that we would have the courage to be obedient. Father, we do pray for open doors. We pray for the upcoming street fair here in Claremont. We pray that you would let this assembly see fruit. I pray that you would allow those who have never led a soul to Christ see those make a profession of faith based upon a convicted heart and acceptance of a loving Savior. Again, Father, your Son has paid for the lives of every man, woman, and child on this planet. Help us to be a part of bringing them into a glorious relationship with your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Bless us as we go forth, and don't let us rest easy while millions around us are passing into eternity without the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's in his name we come before you now, honor you, exalt your name, and lift him up. Amen.